On April 30th, 1994, a man in a nylon stocking mask broke into a 28-year-old woman's home in Michigan while she slept. He blindfolded and raped her over the course of several hours before leaving. Since the victim was blindfolded and had only caught a few glimpses of her attacker, the composite sketch she'd created with investigators was deemed only 60% accurate. When the sketch hit the media, a bowling alley manager named Ken Winnemko was named by a disgruntled ex as a potential culprit. Ken had recently ejected an off-duty cop from his bowling alley for being drunk and disorderly, which was not taken kindly by the officer's friends on the force. With this grudge looming, and despite Ken not matching the physical description, detectives acted on this dubious tip and manipulated a lineup to produce his identification. DNA testing was available, but not done. Yet even the serology testing of the biological evidence from the attack was again not a match for Ken. However, while Ken awaited trial in jail, the assistant prosecutor offered his cellmate a deal to join the lead detective in giving false testimony that Ken had confessed to the rape. His hastily appointed defense attorney did not have time to prepare, and between the false testimony, the shaky composite sketch, and the bogus lineup, the jury ignored the exculpatory serology and sent Ken away to prison for 40 to 60 years. With the help of the Cooley Innocence Project in Michigan, Ken was finally able to obtain the biological evidence, including an unopened rape kit, to find out who had really committed this horrific crime nearly a decade prior. This is Wrongful Conviction. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today's story is one that I've heard whispered about ever since it happened. 
in hushed tones in the innocence community where people talk about how this was one of the worst examples of our criminal legal system. And also, people have talked to me for a long time about this man and the incredible work that he's done, even from inside the walls of prison. You got to hear this story to believe it. And I'm talking about the man who's on the air with us right now, Ken Wynemko. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Jason, it is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. And with him is an awesome character in her own right, Gail Palmakoff, attorney with the Cooley Innocence Project based out of Michigan, where this horrible crime happened. Gail, first of all, thank you for all the incredible work you're doing and welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. So this case goes all the way back to the early mid-90s. But Ken, what was your life like before you got wrapped up in this? Well, I started with GM right after high school. I was working with my two brothers and my dad. We were all skilled trade workers. I was married from 1975 to 1980. And my father-in-law owned a nightclub and a bowling center in Detroit. It's called Falcon Lanes. So I was working for GM during the day, and I was working at the bowling alley in a nightclub at night. Then I went out on my own, and I was just managing bowling centers. And I was managing a center at the time at Kingswood Lanes in Macomb County, Michigan. And that's how this whole incident started. So it sounds like you've got a good thing going there, managing this bowling alley, a good peaceful life. But here's where the seed of this story is planted with you and the police, right? So... Please take us through this. It was on a Friday night. We had a family bowling night, okay? The parents would bring their kids in. We'd get free pizza, everyone. And the place was jammed. So I was sitting in my office. And one of my waitresses, Kelly, came into my office. And she says, Kenny, there's a guy bowling on lane 12. She thought he was drunk. And she said that she noticed that the guy had two bowling bags. One, he had two bowling balls in. And the other bag, he had cans of Miller Lite. So I came out of my office and... There was a father, mother, and two kids on lane 11, and this guy was getting an argument with them. So I walked down there, and I said, excuse me, do these two bags belong to you? He says, who the hell are you? I said, my name is Kenny. I'm the manager of this place. I said, what's your name? And he said, my name is John. So I said, well, John, I said, do you mind if I take a look into the second bag over here? He said, why, what's the problem? I said, that's my right. I'm doing my job. Opened up the second bag. He had 11 cans of Miller Lite in that bag. So I said, John, do yourself a favor. I said, take your bowling shoes back to the counter, get your refund, and you're all done bowling for tonight. You brought this beer into my establishment, and that's illegal. He said, I bought that beer here. I said, John, I know you're lying to me because we don't sell canned beer. All the beer that we sell are in bottles. And I grabbed the bag with the beer in it. He said, where are you going? That's, you know, that's mine. I said, well, you come back and talk to me tomorrow, John. The place is packed. I don't want to argue with you. So I got the bag, took it in the office with me, put it on our floor. About 10 minutes later, this guy comes in the office. He said, what'd you say your name was? I said, my name is Ken Wenemko. He said, well, Ken, I just want you to know that uh, I'm not leaving here until I get my beer back. And his voice started getting louder and louder. I said, look, John, I told you I'm not going to argue with you tonight. One way or another, you're leaving this building. If you don't want to leave on your own, I'll throw you out. And he said, you can't throw me out of here. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a Putin Township police badge. And I said, you should know better that you cannot bring alcohol into an establishment that has a liquor license. He said, well, I'm not leaving until I get that beer. So I got up, got him in a headlock, and he's still holding on to this bag with his bowling balls in it. And I started dragging him towards the front door, two double glass doors in a vestibule leading out in the parking lot. 
And as I'm dragging him out, he takes the bag with his bowling balls and he shatters the glass doors. Dragged him outside, threw him out of the parking lot. I told him, I'll see you later. So on the way back, I told one of my porters to get a broom and sweep up the glass. I go back in the office. About 20 minutes after that, Terry, the counterman, comes in. He says, Kenny, there's two uniformed cops out here who want to talk to you. So they come in and ask me, I heard you had a problem over here about a half hour ago. So I told him the same thing I just told you. I tried to be as nice as I could to him, but he didn't want to listen. And I repeated to them the same thing I told John. If he was a cop, you know better than to bring alcohol into the establishment that has a liquor license. His partner says, uh, is your liquor license up to date? I said, yes, it is. I said, it's posted on the wall behind our bar where it's supposed to be by law. And he said, well, do you mind if I take a look at it? I said, no. As a matter of fact, I'll take a walk with you. So we walked inside the bar. I pulled the license off the wall and I showed it to him. In the meantime, his partner started walking around the whole bar, up and down the lanes, looking around. And he finally came back. I said, everything okay, officer? And he says, well, Kenny, uh, to be honest with you, uh, we'll come back and check on you five or six months down the road, make sure you're okay. I said, is that some kind of a threat? His partner says, we don't make threats, we keep promises. And he walked out the door. So that's how this whole thing began, I believe. Wow, that's such a sinister scenario. Just, I mean, I don't think anybody would want to be in your shoes at that point. And Gail, I want to turn to you now. Can you take us back to the crime itself and how they managed to get anyone in their right mind to believe that Ken was involved? The basic facts are is that on April 30th of 1994, the woman, the complainant, had been at a party earlier in the day. She came home. She went to bed about 2 a.m. Later in the morning, closer to 5, she wakes up and there's a masked man in her room. He had a nylon over his head. He went and got underwear out of her drawer, put panties over her head, and then over the course of the next couple of hours engaged in multiple acts of sexual penetration. She never really saw the perpetrator. She said that when he took his mask off, she couldn't see him, and that when he lifted the mask at all, she only got glimpses of him. He left. He had secured her hands to the bed. She was able to get herself extricated. She went to the neighbors, sought help. She was taken to the hospital. A rape kit was performed. The police got involved in an investigation. And on the day that this occurred, they took her statements, and she told the officers that she really did not get a good look at this perpetrator. He was, you know, masked. She was masked. They said, can you help with the composite? She didn't think that she would be very helpful because she didn't see the man. She said at one point, the guy's mask had risen above his chin. She said he had a deep cleft chin. She could tell he was a smoker. At times he had thought she heard an inhaler, and she estimated that he was about six feet one, six foot two, about 220, 230 pounds. I was five foot 11, 185 pounds, never had a cleft chin in my life. Didn't smoke back then, okay? Didn't start smoking until I got to Jackson Prison. Now, those are the facts. So she gave a composite, and on the composite, it says 60% accurate. She was not able to identify critical features. He was masked with a nylon. She was blindfolded with panties that were later secured with a necktie. But the composite was out in the media, and one of Ken's ex-girlfriend, a very disgruntled ex-girlfriend, thought the composite looked like Ken contacted the Clinton Township Police Department, and that's how Ken gets involved, is through the composite. This is July 14th. I'm at home in bed sleeping by 8.30 in the morning, and there's a knock on my front door. So I got up to answer the door, and there's a young lady standing on my porch, and I said, can I help you? And she said, is your name Kenny? 
I said, yes, it is. What can I do for you? Well, she moved on the side. Four plainclothes officers rushed me, attacked me. They threw me down on the floor in my living room and handcuffed me behind my back. And uh, I'm rolling around saying, what the hell's going on? This woman was a detective, and she told me that they have a warrant for my arrest. I'm going to be taken down to the Macomb County Jail to be placed in the lineup because I'm suspected of being the person that committed a B.E. armed robbery and a rape back in April. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? So they took me down to the Macomb County Jail, and Detective Osten was the lead detective at the time. He told me I was going to be placed in a lineup because they had received an anonymous phone call that Ken Wenemko, the manager at Kingsborough Lanes, looks like a composite that was issued in the paper about this woman who was robbed and raped. So at that point, the detectives bring Ken in, they put him in a lineup, they bring in the complainant in the rape case, and she's in the lineup room, she looks at the six folks, is unable to identify Ken, goes out, speaks with members of the prosecutor's office, comes back in, the people in the lineup were asked to say, I don't remember what the words are, Ken, you probably do. What time does your husband come home? Right. There were six of us in there. All five guys had mustaches. I never had a mustache in my life. And when they first put us in the lineup together, I was in number six position. They took her out to talk to the prosecutor and her assistant and Detective Osten. During that time, an officer brought in a riser, like a three-inch high riser made out of wood. They brought it in. They put it under the number two spot. They moved the guy that was in number two spot to the number six spot. They moved me and made me stand in that riser in number two position. And after that, she says Ken is the one, and that's how Ken gets roped into this whole thing. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and is making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where we work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG pro bono program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. complainant reported in her written statements that the perpetrator ejaculated three times, one of which was oral. And with respect to the oral ejaculation, he wiped her mouth out with a pair of panties and they were left at the scene. The point is, is that there was an enormous amount of biological evidence, including a rape kit that was collected after this crime at the hospital that day. Some of it was tested, some of it wasn't. But the biological evidence that was tested was tested using techniques that were not the best techniques available, serology testing I'm talking about. They didn't use DNA. And furthermore, the testing that was done didn't help their case at all because it didn't match Ken. Yeah. In fact, there was nothing at all that tied Ken to this rape except that composite this composite sketch, which even the victim said was only 60% accurate, and no one could have created an accurate sketch from this for the reasons we've already talked about. And of course, this bogus lineup, which they tried to use every dirty trick in the book in order to get her to identify you in the lineup. Well, they released me after the lineup was done. I had to call my dad to come and pick me up You know, from the jail. My dad was 76 years old. We went back to my house and we pulled in the driveway and I could see all the lights around, the doors were open and I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? 
So walk inside the house, it looked like a tornado had gone through my house. Everything was tossed and turned. The cops were so arrogant, they went inside my refrigerator. I had jars of pickles and peppers, and they broke the jars on my kitchen floor. My dad started crying. I said, Dad, I said, don't worry. Go home and try to get some sleep. I'll clean up. So I stayed up most of the night trying to put everything back together. Got up the next morning, and I went to Myers to buy some of the stuff that the cops had broken. Come back home, pull in the driveway, and Austin and his partner, Bart Marlette, they pulled in behind my rear bumper, like to try to block me off. So I get out of the car, and I'm holding one bag of groceries in my left hand. And Austin says, Wynemko, put that bag on the ground, put your hands on top of the car. So I put the bag on the driveway, put my hands on top of the car, and he handcuffed me behind my back. And I said, you want to tell me what's going on now? He said, well, I'm under arrest for this BE armed robbery and rape because I was identified the day before in that lineup. And I said, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not stupid. If I was identified in that lineup, you guys would have never let me go. You'd have arrested me right on the spot. And I'll never forget this line as long as I live. Olsen said, you know what, Wynemko, by the time I get done fucking with you, it's going to cost you a million dollars to get your ass out of prison, quote, unquote. It's really sick thing. I mean, who are you supposed to call when the cops are the criminals? So here you are. You've never been in trouble a day in your life. Now you're sent into a jail. What was that experience like? That was hell. Step below prison. That's for sure. But I wouldn't wish that on anyone. You know, I had a court-appointed attorney. His name was Lawrence Pepler. Guy wouldn't take my phone calls, so I filed a grievance against him to try to get another attorney. We have a hearing on a Friday afternoon in front of Judge Schwartz, and Judge Schwartz said that he's not in the habit of changing attorneys. And he told me that he's going to give me a new attorney. His name is Albert Markowski, and if I don't like him, I can defend myself. And I told him, Your Honor, I don't know the first thing about the law, but he says, come Monday morning, we're picking a jury. So what that means is this Mr. Markowski is going to have Saturday and Sunday to prepare for a case, 15 counts of CSC, one count of BE, one count of armed robbery. Gail, you got to weigh in on this. I mean, did, did judge really appoint an attorney on Friday who starts the case on Monday? And explain CSC and these initials as well, if you could. A CSC-1 case, which is a criminal sexual assault case, first degree, involves acts of penetration. It's a life offense. Anyone would need a lot of time to prepare for that, particularly in this case, because the rape itself was factually complex. And then the process and procedure afterwards required a lot of analysis. So two days a week, doesn't matter, is, is just totally insufficient. So you go to trial, if you can even call it that. It's a show trial, in effect, right? I mean, they gave you no hope in hell. I don't know what was on the judge's mind, but one would have hoped that the judge would have been an arbiter in this and, and would have actually wanted to see justice done, even though it seems like nobody else on that side did or had any interest in it. But nonetheless, you're now screwed. You've got this attorney who you've just met who hasn't had any time to do any investigation or preparation of any kind, and now you go to trial. So how long did the trial take, and did anyone do anything to help you during this process? No, Mr. Markowski, I think I talked to him twice. They picked a jury on a Monday afternoon. The um, trial lasted the rest of the week. The following week, the jury came back on Wednesday so despite the victim's uncertainty regarding the composite sketch and her glimpses of the attacker, the composite sketch was admitted into evidence. 
And the prosecution's case was centered on this composite sketch because remember, Ken wasn't there, right? So there was no forensic evidence connecting him to the crime. And of course, the serology testing didn't connect him to it either. So the composite sketch, they realized, wasn't going to be enough on its own, which brings us to this character named Glenn McCormick. Gail, please tell us who this guy was and the role that he played. Glenn McCormick shared a cell with Ken for a little while when he was in the Macomb County Jail. He was released. He was contacted by Detective Oston. He was asked to come to the Clinton Township Police Department, and he was told by Linda Davis, the prosecutor, that he was in a world of hurt. He was charged with armed robbery, obstructing a police officer. He was a fourth habitual, so he had potentially a life sentence. And that if he would testify against Ken, you know, something could be worked out with respect to his charges. And the deal was his charges would be changed to attempt unarmed robbery with a recommendation for a year in the county jail, which is a whole lot different than a potential life offense. He was told by Linda Davis and Austin that if he didn't testify to what they had in their reports, Linda Davis guaranteed him that he would not see the later date. McCormick was in an interview room. This discussion occurred. The police report was placed in front of him. Linda Davis and Detective Oston left the room. McCormick had an opportunity to read the police report, and that's how he learned the facts of Ken's case. They came back into the room, and they did a recording of him. He testified at trial that Ken said that, yeah, I did it. They ain't got shit on me. I hid all the evidence and so on. McCormick lied under oath during the trial. It was pretty egregious. So everybody knows you can't bribe a witness, right? You get five years or more for bribing a witness. But the government comes along and says to this guy, it's very simple. You could choose door one, door number two. Door number one, you spend the rest of your life in prison. Or door number two, which you might find more pleasurable, you can simply lie in exactly the ways that we tell you to, and we'll leave you this document as we just sort of slink out of the room so you can learn about this case that you know absolutely nothing about, and then you can lie on the stand and then only spend about a year in county jail. I mean, you make the decision, and this guy, who is apparently not a terrific guy to start with, was a very easy decision for him to make. And so he got up on the stand and lied under oath another crime. So the crimes just keep piling up, but none of them are yours. It's amazing. So the jury goes out. How long did they deliberate for? They got the case on um, Friday afternoon, came back Wednesday, November 9th, they're guilty on all counts. So that moment when they came back and declared you guilty and ultimately sentenced you to 40 to 60 years in prison, so a life sentence because you weren't a young man. I was 43. Right. A living death sentence. I mean, can you take us back to that probably the worst moment of your life? I can. I can remember my dad was sitting right behind me when the verdict was announced. And I could hear my dad say, no, no, he started crying. And I tried to get up to give him a hug and... The court officers were standing right behind me. He pushed me back down in the chair. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. That moment. That's one of the things that motivates me to do what I've been doing for the last 18 years, and I'll never stop. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. 
That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. When they put me in my first cell, Jason, I was scared to death. I was shaking. I was crying. And I sat down my bunk. I started to tear the bed sheets into strips. I was going to hang myself. That's how despondent I felt. I remember getting down on my knees and praying. Lord, Lord, please show me the way. Please show me what to do. And as God is my witness, I swear this is the truth. I could feel like a hand touch my right shoulder. And I heard a voice say, Kenny, you're going to be just fine. And when I heard those words, something came over me. I stood up and I just made my mind up. I'm going to do whatever I have to do with God's help to prove my innocence. Well, you had God and Gail, right? <laughs> so, yeah. and, and you needed both. Not only got in Gale, I had Kathy Swedlow from the Innocence Project, Kim Shine, who is a reporter from the Detroit News. You know, I've been blessed with three angels. And Gail, we know it's so easy to get wrongfully convicted, and the barriers to getting an innocent person out are incredibly high. How did you get involved in the case? How did you win it against all these obstacles? And this was the first uh, exoneration for the Cooley Center at the uh, Michigan Innocence Project, right? It was. What happened was, is I had gone to a criminal defense attorney of Michigan conference to hear Barry Sheck speak. And 
the people from the Innocence Project were there. So I went out, I signed up, and I said, you know, you get a case in Macomb County, call me, I'd be happy to do it. And they did. So in April or May of 2002, I went to the Cooley Law School. I picked up the file, read it over the summer. I met Ken and decided to file the motion in November. And when I was putting the motion together, it became pretty glaring that something terribly wrong had happened. The identification was so bad that it's hard to imagine that it formed the basis for Ken's involvement and ultimate conviction because there wasn't anything else to work with, frankly. And at the time of trial, what happens is, is that the complainant points to Ken and says, I'm 100% sure he's the perpetrator. So you have that, you have the snitch witness, and you know it's pretty compelling testimony. So I filed the motion to get the biological evidence tested. The court granted it. The detective, Osten, was vehemently opposed to the testing and said so on the record. Judge Servito said he was going to have the evidence tested. And I went to the Clinton Township Police Department with the assistant prosecutor and Detective Osten was there. We went through all the biological evidence. There was an enormous amount. The rape kit had never been opened. And so we did a chain of evidence on all that, it was sent up to the Michigan State Police Crime Lab, and then we waited for the results. And then on June 11th, I got a phone call from the county prosecutor that the DNA results were coming in and they looked favorable to Ken. And when they came in, indeed they were. A cigarette butt at the scene showed saliva from an unknown donor. A fingernail scraping from the complainant showed an unknown donor. And then there was semen extracted from a pantyhose that was used to secure her that also showed semen from an unknown donor. So there were three pieces of evidence that corroborated that Ken was factually not the perpetrator and innocent. Yeah, when you got this evidence, you Mm -hmm. must have been jumping for joy. I was. How did you get the message to Ken? And what was that moment like for both of you? Did you call him? Did you go visit him? You know, it happened like late in an afternoon when I got the call, and I couldn't even believe it. I was so excited. So I got in my car to drive down to the prison. You know, I wanted him to hear it directly from me. And as I was driving to the prison, I started to get so sad because almost 10 years of his life was gone. His dad had died. His son had grown up. You know, families are blown apart by these things. It's hard to repair all the things that happen in all this time. So, you know, those thoughts are going through my mind. I finally get through security at the prison and I meet Ken. And I think my face was such that Ken was afraid I was bringing bad news instead of good news. You know, Jason, I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. I was in my bunk and the guards came to get me and they said, you have to get up front right away. Your attorney's waiting for you up front. And I'm thinking my dad had passed away and my mom wasn't doing very well herself. So when the guards tell me I have to get up there ASAP, I'm thinking, geez, don't tell me that my mom passed away. I had a rough time dealing, losing my dad and not being allowed to go to the funeral. And I remember when Gail walked in and she had this look on her face. I said, Gail, what's the matter? And she said, Kenny, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, Gail, please don't tell me something happened to my mother. And Gail said, Kenny, I just talked to your mom about an hour ago. She's real happy. I said, then what's going on? Why are you here? And she said that she got word from the prosecutor's office, I am an innocent man, and Carl Malinga wants me released. And I don't know if you remember this, Gail. I got up and I uh, picked you up by your waist. <laughs> and I was swinging her around, Jason. I said, Gail, you know, what happened? Gail, what happened? 
And she said, Ken, if you put my ass down, I'll tell you what happened. And the rest is history. I, boy, I'll tell you what, that's one moment I'll never forget as long as I live. Never. And then he was released on June 17, 2003. So after you were released, Glenn McCormick recanted his testimony and in a sworn affidavit told the story of his coercion by Linda Davis and Detective Oston. And later, you filed a federal civil rights lawsuit that was eventually settled for $3.7 million. Now, we got to talk about the work that you're doing. I think it's one of the reasons why people in the innocence community can have so much respect for you and why I've really been looking forward to this podcast. Not because of your amazing sense of humor, <laughs> but more because what's that great saying? This applies right to you. You ready? Yep. The saying is from somebody named Stephanie Sparkles. She said, I love when people that have been through hell walk out of the flames carrying buckets of water for those still consumed by the fire. Ken, that is you to a T. You could be doing anything at all. No one would fault you if you wanted to go be out on an island somewhere with your toes in the sand and a drink in each hand, you know. But that's not the reality at all. You have hit the ground running and have been making an impact on not just individual cases, but on the macro issues that have already affected and are going to continue to affect even long after you're gone, people in Michigan and even in the broader movement. So talk to us about the work that you've been doing and what it means to you. Well, I made myself an agenda. I was still locked up, but I knew it was just a matter of time before the truth would come out. And one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to have a wrongful compensation bill passed here in Michigan because we didn't have one at the time. And as a matter of fact, in the state of Michigan, if you were in prison for a crime that you did commit and you're released from prison, the state would help you get housing, job training, clothing, food stamps, okay, help you get your back on your feet. If you are someone like myself or my fellow exonerees who are totally innocent and are released from prison, you don't get a penny. That's just ridiculous. So I worked 12 and a half years to have that bill passed. And another bill that I worked on, there are so many unsolved, untested rape cases in the state of Michigan, especially in Wayne County in the Detroit area. I had this idea that before someone can be released from prison on parole, they have to submit a DNA sample. That DNA sample will go into the national CODIS system. And maybe if they get one hit, they think it's all one rape or one murder. It'll be good. It's a good thing. So that bill was passed in the middle of 2008. And ironically, that was how they caught the actual rapist in my case, because of that bill. Wow. The actual rapist, his name is Craig Gonzer. He was about to be released from prison. He gave a DNA sample. That's how he was found. Now, one thing I want to make perfectly clear how bad wrongful misidentifications are. The victim said, you know, she never saw a guy's face. She thought he was 6'2", 6'3", 220, 230 pounds, deep cleft chin. At the time, I was 5'11", 185 pounds, okay? Mr. Gonzer, the actual rapist, is 6'6", 290 pounds. Wow. So I was only eight inches off in height and 105 pounds in weight. You know, to me, that shows more definite proof that the police knew that they were framing an innocent man. So I'm happy about doing that. I'm working on something for the last three or four years about the qualified immunity issue. That has to go. Snitch testimony has to go. And I don't care how long it's going to take me. I'll get it done. So there's some new development as we're speaking now that I know you are so excited about. Tell us quickly about that. Well, the good news is this deals directly with Gail. And I'm so proud of her. 
She is the most remarkable woman I've ever met in my life. We have a new prosecutor in Macomb County. His name is Pete Lucido. And Gail, uh, you know more about it than I do. Pete has started and gotten the budget to start up what's known as a conviction integrity unit. And the idea is, is once it's up and running, it will review cases to determine whether or not innocent people are in prison. The good thing is, the good news is, Pete Lucido has named Gail the director of the Macomb County CIU unit. When Gail told me the news about that, that could be a miracle in itself. The whole idea is the fair administration of justice, and that exists on both ends, both on the prosecutorial end and on the, on the side of innocence and wrongful convictions to right those wrongs. And Pete has a definite interest in making sure that the right people are in prison. The prosecutor, in my opinion, should be not only the sword of justice, he or she has to be the shield of justice also. Well said. And Ken, if people want to know more about you or your story, you have a book now, right? You have a book that's available right now. How can our audience find that? In case anyone would like to read my book, my book is called Deliberate Injustice, The Wrongful Conviction of Ken Wynemko. You can go online. The website is deliberateinjusticethebook.com. You can also watch a story about my case on Netflix. The series is called The Innocence Files. My episode is number nine. It's called The Million Dollar Man. We'll have that link in the bio. And now we go to the closing of our show, which is always my favorite part. We call it Closing Arguments, where first of all, I thank our two incredible guests. Of course, Ken Wynemko, you are a hero, and I'm so proud of you and all the work you've done. And I'm looking forward to continuing to work together to make the system fairer and better for everyone. And of course, Gail Pamakoff, I know how much this case meant to you. So it's so great that you're here to share this sort of triumphant retelling of this awful saga and, of course, the good that came from it. So how this segment of the show works is very, very simple. I'm going to turn off my microphone, kick back in my chair, leave my headphones on, and probably close my eyes. And then closing arguments, basically, uh, you could just say anything else you want to say, anything we haven't covered, anything you want to share with our audience. Gail, you start. With all due respect to you, we're going to save the best for last. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and Ken to talk on your show. This is a really important subject. And from the standpoint of a lawyer, it's an exciting area to be in. It's also a heartbreaking area to work in. Just to give your listeners some context in terms of the degree of the problem, the Department of Justice reports that in 2019, there were 2,086,000 people in prison in the United States. The Innocence Project of West Virginia says that between 3 and 6% of those in prison are wrongfully convicted. 3% is 62,580 people, and 6% are 125,160 people at any given time. And the truth is, I don't think anybody really knows the real numbers. These are extrapolations of these different programs. The National Registry of Exoneration and keeps track of all the exonerations in the United States reports that since 1989, there have been 2,937 exonerations. Think about that. When at any moment in time, there's up to 125,000 people wrongfully convicted in prison. It's an astounding problem. People think that those in prison, they're guilty and people that make claims of innocent are just blowing smoke. It's not true. The wrongfully convicted and the innocent are truly sitting in prisons. So I hope that your audience takes away that this does happen. It can happen to you, it can happen to your neighbor, your son, your father, your daughter, your mother. 
it happens and it's a tragedy. It's almost an irreparable tragedy. In Ken's case, he lost almost 10 years of his life. He is out and he has done an amazing job over these almost 20 years. He's an extraordinary human, but he lost a lot too. And so I hope that your audience takes away the large scope of the problem and can also contribute locally and, and nationally in terms of pressing politicians to create more conviction integrity units, support innocence projects, support criminal justice reform, and that type of thing. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. She is the epitome of what an attorney should be. Jason, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. It's only due to people like you that exonerees such as myself can share their stories with the entire country with the hopes of enlightening people to the truth. Wrongful convictions happen every day in this country. They have to stop. They must stop. I don't consider myself a hero. I'm just a good guy who wants to do the right thing. And I don't want anyone to have to go through what I or my family had to go through. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not the way America is supposed to be. We can change it. It takes all of us to change it, each and every one of us. Again, I want to thank you, Jason. Gail, I love you both. Let's keep up the fight. God bless you. God bless everyone. And may God bless America. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Justin Golden, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.